Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada. With instant analysis from AEW Revolution, the first AEW pay-per-view of 2021. That's right, the Silver King is here just minutes after Revolution went off the air to break down every single match, storyline, and explosion from the Revolution pay-per-view. And joining me, as always, for these instant analyses is none other than vintage Chris Benini, from whom you will hear in a moment. Before we get to the instant analysis, a couple pieces of business to take care of right off the top of the show. First and foremost, do not forget to follow Getting Over on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Second, when you are done listening to the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this show and how much you love that we do instant analysis for pay-per-views. It's some of our most popular episodes, but people need to know how much you love them. So I'd appreciate that when you get the time. There is some big news coming to the Getting Over universe in the coming days and weeks. Not only are we marching on the road to WrestleMania, but Getting Over is about to get its first ever sponsor. And you guys listening and sharing the show, telling people about it is a big reason why. But that is a story for another day. Tonight, we are focused on AEW Revolution and dropping our instant analysis of the show. And the way we do that here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast very special, instant analysis only, we crack open a cold one. And it, man, that, I gotta tell you, Chris, that exploded, I'm not even joking, that exploded all over me, better than explosions on Revolution tonight. You stole my joke, I've got a Sprite I've been drinking all night, and I was about to say, it's, it's fizzled out a bit. This so this brewery, it's my favorite brewery. It's due south in uh, Boynton Beach, Florida. I think it's the best one in Florida. But they, for some reason, when they can their beers, they fill it all the way up. So any <laughs> beer you crack, it legitimately like explodes. And sometimes you get lucky, but man, it is on the computer. It's on me. It is look. Terry Funk would be proud of this one. I don't think he'd be proud of the ones we saw Sunday night in Jacksonville, Florida. But are you? Did you say you're drinking a Sprite? Yeah, I've got a Sprite I've been uh, drinking. It's a bit flat, a bit uh, fizzled out now. Okay, well, you don't have to go beer. You know, something, a canned beverage is what's appreciated. Yeah, um, well, I, ha- I still have the I still have the Dallas Blonde I've had over the last couple of pay-per-views, but uh, gotcha. we're hitting pay-per-views every couple of weeks now. It's, um, I know, yeah. Coming I don't quick. blame you. I'm actually uh, heading off to the Masters in one month's Ooh. time, and I decided this may be not my last beer necessarily until the Masters, but the last one I have... Um, for a while at least, later this month, I'm going to lose some weight before I get to the Masters. There you go. Uh, you know, and then pig out while I'm there because the food is absolutely incredible. But okay, we're not here to talk about golf or beer or anything else. We're here to talk AEW Revolution. And we're going to get into the instant analysis. And the way we kick off every instant analysis is with our pre-show poll. So on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast, we survey you, the listeners, and anyone else who clicks on that AEW Revolution Hashtag, what do you expect from this pay-per-view? 26% of respondents expected an A show. 47% come in at B. That is 73% A or B. 17% said C. And 10% 
said D or F. Going into the show, Chris, I was expecting a B pay-per-view, not B-level pay-per-view, but a B-grade for a pay-per-view. I thought the main event would be exceptionally strong. I was very excited for the Sting match. I haven't loved the build to it, but I thought they would nail it. And I thought the combination of everything else on the card, the surprise signing, there was a ladder match. Ladder matches are almost always great. And, you know, some other of the things that were on there, I thought there was enough on the show that would get to a B without overrating it and expecting an A, which you never, it's very rare that you go into a pay-per-view expecting an A. I don't think I ever do. So that was my expectation grade. What about you? Yeah, I was at the same spot. I I was thinking to B, there was stuff I was looking forward to. There was stuff I was not looking forward to. And I figured it was going to be long. You know, we've been on a stretch of short WWE pay-per-views. You knew coming in, this this was going to be quite a bit longer than we've been used to. Uh, and so I had a B expectation coming in. Uh, so it's interesting with AEW pay-per-views because on one hand, they only do four a year. Right. So for them to be four hours plus the buy-in, it's really not that bad. Like a four-hour pay-per-view, it's getting your money's worth. Because right. you're paying $50. You're not paying $9.99, right? So a four-hour show, eight, nine matches, it makes sense. But... For this pay-per-view, and I'll just kind of say this going in, we'll get into the match-by-match breakdown in a moment. It felt to me like at least two, if not three of the matches on the pay-per-view weren't pay-per-view worthy matches. They didn't deserve or need to be on the card. For example, the Miro match, right? If that was Miro Orange Cassidy, I'm down for that being a pay-per-view match, right? But that tag team match was not pay-per-view quality. I didn't think the Casino Tag Team Battle Royal had any part on this show whatsoever. And I think if they had adjusted those two matches, it would have been tighter, all things considered. But instead, the first three hours, at least to me, dragged significantly. And then they kind of paid things off with the final two matches on the show. Yeah, and you know, Matt Hardy, Hangman Page was another one that didn't feel like a pay-per-view it didn't match. need to be. Right. And, and I turned out, I actually really liked that match, but but mm-hmm. just in terms of, you know, yeah, AEW, they only have four of these. They're going to do them longer. I get it. WWE is every month. And normally, pre-pandemic, WWE was doing four-hour, five-hour Oh, yeah. Reviews. With overloaded too many matches, repeat matches. Yeah. Yeah, but they yeah, fixed it I, to yeah, their credit. I, I mean, let's be honest. WWE, Chris, has, since SummerSlam at least, they have not missed pay-per-view-wise. Yeah. And it's because everything you're getting on those shows, you feel like is deserving of that spot. And right. we just didn't get that sense here. Again, it's a, again, uh, yes, it's a different model, but you're right. The first bit of that pay-per-view dragged for quite a bit. But I think what a big part of what kept me going is that we knew there was really good stuff coming later. Right. And, 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 and that ended up delivering. Those three final matches plus the surprise you, you had reason to be to remain excited and stay tuned. But this was very, for me, almost like NJPW-esque. And I know you're not a big uh, watcher or you don't watch it at all, actually. But they build their match cards bottom to top, just like a real fight card, which is how you should yeah. build the paper. You know, AEW didn't exactly do that. But there was a lot of stuff on the show where you're like, all right, let's get this over with. Like, I want to get to the main event. I want to see the big matches. And they did give us two big matches, but none bigger, Chris, than the AEW World Championship on the line, Kenny Omega defending against John Moxley in an exploding 
barbed wire deathmatch. Now, I want to preface this by telling everyone listening, and I did say this, I think, on the Ultimate Preview, that I, I was not a tape trader growing up, but I did acquire independent and international wrestling tapes when I was younger. So I have seen a number of barbed wire death matches, exploding barbed wire death matches, but I haven't seen one or hadn't seen one in probably, you know, 15 years or so. So I'm coming into this without a mind of like remembering exactly what it used to be and wondering if what I used to see when I was younger was truly brutal or was it brutal because I was sensitive to it because I was younger. I wasn't desensitized as an adult. Right. Right. So that's how I came into this. Mox entered in a leather studded jacket that was in honor of Onita, who's kind of like the head honcho of these types of matches. Uh, Omega threw salt in Mox, Mox's eyes early and ran him into the ropes for an explosion. Nearly every explosion in the match went off before the ropes were actually hit. It was either a split second or one second, but it was clear that these were not triggered by actual contact. They were triggered by a dude with a button basically hitting the right one at the right time. And that's okay, it's wrestling, but that is something I noticed. Uh, Mox's head got busted open and Omega sent him into the barbed wire board in the ring. Omega got two explosions on the ropes, ate a barbed wire board on an exploder suplex, and then got sidewalk slammed into a barbed wire chair. Between all of that, Chris, there was some really good actual wrestling mixed in with all the gimmicks. Mox hit Omega with a barbed wire lariat and later a paradigm shift into a barbed wire platform outside the ring, off the ring apron. My thought throughout the entire match was the silly explosions took away from the legit brutality of utilizing that much barbed wire. The blood was real. Like maybe Mox bladed his head, I'm not sure. But the blood in that match was legitimate and these guys were actually taking a pounding. I thought the barbed wire was enough to sell the match and the explosions, every time one went off, it kind of like took me out of the brutality. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I come I come into this different. I mean, I only have memories of old clips of Mick Foley doing stuff. And honestly, I was I was not really looking forward to this coming in. I, I was expecting gore for the sake of gore. I think those old, you know, matches where literally the barbed wire are the ropes and it's just it's right. kind of just disgusting to me. That's what I was expecting, by the and, way. No yeah, real. Yeah, so was I, and yeah. I wasn't looking forward to that. But you know, yeah, it was. Yeah, the explosions were gimmicked and stuff like that. I actually thought the way it laid laid out was a lot better than I thought, and I enjoyed it because of exactly what you said. The the, the wrestling was there. The barbed wire was brutal. I thought they played off the explosions at the beginning well, with somebody getting close to it every time, mm -hmm. and. Uh, until the end, really, the explosions were largely kept to a minimum, which I think was uh, which I think was OK, considering what was good about the match. So when when you when you saw the explosions go off, so like someone runs into the ring, uh, the ring ropes and an explosion goes off. Did it take you out of it at all? Were you like, oh, that's kind of silly. Or did it in, did it in, uh, like enhance for you? <sighs> I was probably or nothing, or, or were you it, totally it was probably neutral because okay, I, I didn't right. expect them to be legit. You know, like you know, like to say, of course, Foley had a C four explode on him and whatever. Uh, but but it wasn't it wasn't so bad that it took me out of it. So I, I thought they I thought they hit with where they wanted to go in terms of the ring explosions, at least to me. Okay, well, it did 
I'll clarify. It didn't take me out of it, all the explosions. But it was, it seemed like, un, it seemed like it was unnecessary. Like, I just, the barbed wire was brutal enough that I didn't need the silliness of sparkling pyro to kind of tell me that it was intense. I am seeing these guys pulling barbed wire off of their skin, where it's attaching into their skin and, and gripping them, right? With that, chairs, bats, and those platforms, that to me was enough. So when I then saw the explosions on top of it, it was almost just like, uh, this is like, this thing's happening four feet away from them. It's not being timed well. And it wasn't ruining my enjoyment in the match, but it certainly wasn't adding anything to it. Yeah. It was, it was almost yeah. a little distracting. Like, okay, he's about to run in. I got to prepare for the explosion, you know, yeah. versus like the brutality yeah. of being covered in barbed wire, you know? Right. I, I, I thought they were... You know, it's exploding barbed wire match, but it was really, I guess you would call it a barbed wire match with a couple of explosions just kind of right. supplementing the whole thing. I mean, they got the tables full of barbed wire. That was clearly the emphasis. The explosions were just from time to time popping up. And I don't know. I thought it worked for me. It, and they it, also it was fine. they also had three platforms around the ring and ultimately only used one, which yeah. it's fine. There was plenty of barbed wire. Don't get me wrong. But if you're going to have three, you would expect a little bit more action. But anyway, let's get to the, the finish of the match. So Mox grabs a ton of barbed wire in his bare hand. This guy's a psychopath. Like in real life, I would, you would never ever, I know he had tape on his hand, but you would never ever do that. But okay, he grabs a bunch of barbed wire. Music starts playing, indicating that the ring is going to explode after 30 minutes. But commentary had no idea whatsoever how much time was left. It's like in their match notes, it didn't say that's a five minute warning or that's a 10 minute warning. So they were all just confused at what the sound actually meant. Mox yeah, I, eight. Yeah. Uh, so I, on this point, I'm going to bring this up later, but I, that was one, one example of several in this match and in the show. That was the start. That was the start of a downturn. AEW just does not have the level of production of mm-hmm. WWE, and it shows in moments like that. You're, you're right. That was the start of mm, this. Something might be wrong here. You know, like it's the first time that I had an inkling of like, mm, this may not be finishing the way I want it to. But the match itself, I got to say, concluded pretty solidly. Mm-hmm. Mox ate two V triggers into the ropes, but nothing exploded because I guess he was in the corner instead of hitting the ropes. Then after those V triggers, Omega hit a one winged angel and Mox didn't kick out, but he got his leg onto the rope, causing an explosion, which I thought was one of the two best spots in the entire match. Commentary. Yes. Commentary did a great job ensuring that the fans knew this did not count as a kickout, given that no one has kicked out of the one-winged angel before ever uh, in the United States, AEW, in New Japan. It's never happened. So they overemphasized that that did not count. And that's something that I talk all the time about WWE commentary lacking, not telling you directly that something is important or why it is or is not happening or why it does or does not count. So I thought... Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, um, Don Callis as well, all did a fantastic job there. So Omega sold getting blinded by the pyro that went off on that, you know, foot on the rope really, really well. Suddenly the Good Brothers come out. Mox easily beats down both of them, but because he's distracted, he's going back and forth. Omega grabs a bat that the Good Brothers brought down, covered in barbed wire, hits uh, Moxley in the face, and it explodes in his face in the best spot of the entire match. Uh, Moxley then kicks out at 2.9, despite that, because Omega doesn't cover his shoulders. The Good Brothers helped Omega 
get Moxley back on his shoulders, and he hit the one-winged angel through a propped-up steel chair for the win. So we're going to pause here, okay? I loved the brutality of the match. The barbed wire I thought was great. As I said, the explosions took away from it a little bit, but the explosion on the bat factoring into the finish I thought was super smart. Uh, It was extremely good booking using the exploding ropes as a way for Mox to get out of the one-winged angel without actually kicking out. And the loss, Mox losing the match, was easily excused because he was beaten three on one. And you kind of knew going in, chances were that Omega wouldn't beat him clean and he probably would use the Good Brothers, right? So everything, Chris, up through the end of the match was great. It wasn't a five-star match, but for a hardcore barbed wire match, yeah, they advertised explosions and yeah, they weren't really explosions, but the match was good. It was in the four-star range for me. It was extremely entertaining and it was brutal. So before we talk about the end of Revolution, I want to know what you thought about the match itself. Yeah, I thought it was the perfect level of hardcore in terms of what I like where I'm not feeling uncomfortable. You know, right. like some of the other stuff that they've done, you know, the, the Dustin Rhodes, you know, blade job way back when that that got to like an uncomfortable level. Um, and, and this this didn't I mean, obviously it was gruesome, but it was, you know, I, I thought they hit that right level of it being intense but not feeling like it was gore for the sake of gore. So I, I really, I, I thought it was the right level of that. The Good Brothers coming out and interfering. My only issue with that is we'll get to later. It felt like almost every show on this car, every match on this card had outside interference. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, oh, I guess we got another one of these and boom, it's over. So which by, the, which by the way, Chris, if we're being fair and critical, which we are, we criticize all these shows and products exactly the same. What we were told about AEW coming in is that this is a sport-based presentation and the matches are going to matter and results are going to matter. And a significant portion of their pay-per-view matches, which is way worse than doing it on TV, worse in, in quotes, a significant portion of them included interference getting to the finish. And it's like, well, when are you just going to wrestle? Because we know yeah. you can because you have... Many of the greatest wrestlers, if there was a top 25 list of greatest wrestlers in the world, you know, a third of them is over in Japan. And AEW has a damn good amount between Omega and Phoenix and Penta and Moxley and a lot of other dudes on that roster. Pac, I mean, they got some great ass wrestlers. And I mean, Paige is up there too. Hangman Page is really good. And how many interferences are you going to do on the same show and in your main event match? Yes, exactly. So so when that happened at the end, I was like, all right, it, it didn't take away. It didn't take away much for me. Like I said, I, I thought they hit all the right notes. I thought the match was really, really well done. It was up, exceeded. Like I said, I, I was not exactly looking forward to this for those reasons, but I thought they hit it. They balanced it well. Finish was eh, but it was fine. The, the, OK, so that that leg, the leg on the rope exploding spot. That was a, like you, you talked about how great it was. I feel like you're underselling it. That was an amazingly brilliant spot. Brilliant, yeah. Because I was sitting there thinking, they're they're not going to have him kick out of this in this match here, right? This is not really good when they're. It's not the right. It. It's not the right I spot. For I didn't to kick see out it coming. I didn't right. see it coming. They yep. got me. Awesome, awesome spot. Whoever came. With. Now you can say though, and I do want to, I you know I want to point this out. 
Is is there a rope break in an exploding barbed wire deathmatch? I don't think it was a rope break. I think it was the explosion basically blew Kenny off of him. And the referee was unable to count three yeah, yeah, because yeah, he yeah, got yeah, blown yeah, up yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. if that's the case and that's how it was, if that's how it's described, and I'll buy into that. Even if it's not described that way, I will buy into it. But it certainly could not have been a rope break. Right. Because there's I, I, no way yeah, the rope no, sort of broke that's in not a submission. How, I just, I right. called it a rope break. Broken. I looked, that's how I looked at no, it. No, I just, called it a rope, I called it a rope break too. Yeah, just but, use it, yeah. triggering the explosion on purpose. I yes. thought it was just really smart. Yes, and, and you're right. Um, whether it was or was not, it doesn't really matter. It was brilliant. The finish to that match was great. And some stuff that happened, I kind of say even after the match, were pretty brilliant. But we got to get to the post-match here because yep. we have a, plenty of stuff to talk about. So... <laughs> All right, so after the match, uh, Omega and the Good Brothers, they're beating on on uh, Mox with a barbed wire bat, and it felt like it was going on forever. It felt like in one of those scenarios back in the day in WCW where someone's supposed to come out and they're waiting, and that person got tripped up in catering or he's late or something's happening, and they're stalling for time. So the countdown clock then starts going off. And while it's going off, Mox is handcuffed in the ring. I guess the Good Brothers and Omega did that to make sure he exploded at the end of this match because they want to just take care of him, knock him out for good. Now there's sirens going off. And I'm getting legitimately apprehensive of what's about to go down. They 100% had me in the palm of their hands saying, Holy shit, AEW is about to pull something off and have me lose my mind and say, you know what? Maybe I didn't love this pay-per-view, but man, they crushed that main event. And they wrote John Moxley off television in a great way. I was expecting, I was expecting they were the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega were going to be too, I guess, pompous about their victory, and then it would explode on them when they weren't paying attention. But commentary kept saying it's going to explode, it's going to explode. So it's like, why are they giving away this is going to happen? And then when the sirens and the countdown clock show up, I'm like, oh, okay. They're, they're, they're like making this a big, big deal, whatever's going to happen here. Right. They're building this up to the end of the world. Yeah. It's Independence Day. Like, you know, <laughs> like this thing is going down and Daly's place is going to implode at zero, right? So Eddie Kingston shows up and I am thinking, holy shit, this is brilliant. After all of this, no one has Moxley's back. Eddie Kingston's coming down to save his his friend. He gets into the ring with like 20 seconds, 15 seconds left and starts looking around. And I don't know what he's looking at because all he really needed to do was take Mox because he's a big guy. Kingston's not not a small dude and roll him out of the ring onto the steps. Like that's all you had to do. Like push him with all your might. He rolls out of the ring and you save your friend. But he can't figure out what to do. So he lays atop of Mox to shield his best friend's, old best friend's face from the ensuing explosion. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is an incredibly smart piece of booking. Yeah, You have Kingston, who's gotten his ass kicked by Mox, turned heel on him, but when worse comes to worse, when push comes to shove, he's turning face, saving his friend. They're going to be a tag team when Mox comes back. Everything's great. And then right there, Chris, as they have me, at the height of anticipation and apprehension, with the clock ticking down, five, four, three, two, one, 
we get the worst fucking ending to a pay-per-view <laughs> that I can remember in my life. Forget an explosion. The ring was lit up by a couple sparklers on the ring posts that didn't come within 10 feet of the guys <laughs> laying in the middle of the ring. Kingston and Mox sold it like death. They sold it like Kingston jumped on top of a landmine for this guy. I can't even describe how bad and insulting it was. I get bigger explosions putting burgers on my fucking grill. I've had bigger explosions in my own bathroom. It was WCW at its worst. Independent you wrestling in a bingo hall. It looked like a celebration, something you do after a face wins a championship. Not the entire ring exploding after a fucking death match. So Chris, the end of AEW revolution? Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Point zero. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. You can yourself too. You know, was a be, uh, also was a bigger explosion that time that John Moxley, aka Dean Ambrose, tried to hit somebody with a TV and the cord exploded in his face and he lost the match because of that. <laughs> That's what that reminded me of. I mean, just why well, I, I don't. So, you know, what, what what's what's the train of thought? Is it it didn't go off in time? Is it that's all Bullshit. they had? Bullshit! Bullshit! I won't accept so, it. Okay, I, won't, here, I, won't, so, I will not accept if Tony Khan. I'm, I'm just gonna say this. If Tony Khan comes out, and I, I tweeted this in the post-match press conference, the post-show press conference, or in a podcast interview a year from now or next week or whenever, and he says, you know, it wasn't supposed to look that way or it didn't go off right, bullshit. Okay, now so, I, wait, I, I, wait, did wait. See, I did see a video of the live arena from the stands. Yeah. And it looked equally as bad. I also saw a photograph from one of the posts on the corner and it actually looked way better. But- there is no way that a multi-million dollar company, a dude who's a billionaire, a, a company who's been planning this match for an extended period of time is not testing that out before the show and running through it multiple times to ensure that even if one thing doesn't go off, something else will and it will look good. Because even if there was supposed to be one additional explosion that didn't go off, Everything surrounding it was absolutely horrendous and a joke. Well, it, it, it wouldn't have been good, but it would have been better if it all happened at once. The problem was, it's, one problem was it started with sparklers for a little bit, and then there was another explosion, and then there was the big one on the outside. If it had all happened at once, it would have felt a little bit better, but no, it, it wouldn't have been good enough. And, and speaking of Tony Khan, um, Robert O'Neill on, on Twitter tweeted some uh, quotes from Tony Khan's media thing, it looks like. Uh, he says, we're lucky that the bomb going off at the end didn't hurt anybody. Kenny built a dud, kind of playing it off. But then he also says, unless you want us to actually explode the guys at the end, there's only so much we can do. Bullshit. So it doesn't, doesn't, no, I'm saying it doesn't look like he's saying it's a botch, at least. you know. For no, what no, he's, I understand. He's, I'm yeah. just saying, it's, here's why it's bullshit, okay? Because it's 2021 and WWE, and listen, I know WWE is different. And I know that they have, I mean, theoretically more of a budget right? And probably different technology that allows them to do things maybe that AEW can't. But they set off lightning in their Thunderdome. And they've set it off in major stadiums on the stage where The Undertaker's making an entrance or, yeah. or leaving and lightning strikes something, right? You can do things. And on TV, if you go to a wide angle, you can insert CGI live, yes, over 
actual pyro. So maybe in the arena, it looks like shit, but maybe at home, it looks good. There was, Chris, there was no excuse no, for the ending of that show. The, the, the explosions in the match were bigger than the explosion at the end. Exactly. Uh, that, that's, that's why it was just weird. And, you know, how, how do you play that off at the end? You know, good on, good on Eddie Kingston for being a, a, a company guy, but I feel like the, the better play would have been to realize it didn't work and then, like, just protect. Moxley was knocked out. He could still sell it, you know, all the hell. Kingston, the fact that they had Kingston, Kingston, Kingston feeling he had to sell it. I get why he right. did, but I feel like exactly. he could have saved it by not doing that. Right. Moxley being knocked out is fine because he took a one-winged angel through a chair. That's after he took a barbed wire exploding bat to the head, right? And another one-winged angel shortly before that. So if you want Mox knocked out in the ring, you're fine. But Eddie Kingston covering him and doesn't have a bit of dirt on him or his yeah. shirt on fire. I mean, they could have figured out a way to set him on fire. Or something like that. You know, fire, get it out quickly with fire extinguishers. You can do, again, something WWE does all the time, right? You can figure out a way to make it look more impactful than what they did. But it was inexcusably bad. It When we yep. talk about parts of AEW being like WCW, this is the example. It's the, oh, it'll be good. Fans will like it. So we don't need to make sure it's perfect type of stuff. And it goes back to look at Dynamite with Shaq. You had a, it's, it's, it's almost identical to this. Shaq is in the, in the ring and he takes a massive bump through two tables and you're going, holy shit, I can't believe Shaq just did that. Like AEW is going to be on SportsCenter. They're going to, people are going to be going crazy about this. And then after the match, they wheel him into an ambulance and he disappears like he's actually Kazam. <laughs> and then they never explain it. They're like, we'll have an update on Shaq later. And they never update you. Yep, and, yep. and then on Dynamite the week prior, you have Chris Jericho and MJF attack the Young Bucks' father. And you're like, damn, that's actually kind of brutal that they're going after Papa Buck and fans of BTE and people who like the Young Bucks. That's good heat going into the match. But then they spray his face with ketchup. Yeah. It, this it, is bad production quality, and it's yep. it's it's insulting. It, it, it's been the case since the beginning when the first show they did the battle royal, and they couldn't you couldn't figure out who was coming in and why, and it's been an issue the, the whole time around. You know, I, I really like AEW. I love the, the people in it and everything, but there are moments, and it's often the big moments that they don't hit it right. They don't get those iconic moments, and it's commentary not realizing what's going on. It's uh, it, it's not understanding how to call uh, something that's happening at the end. Something they don't have is when someone wins this big match or something happens, you don't have the lead commentator go on this soliloquy about how big this is and how great this is and, and for this person or something like that. And you have explosions that don't work. And it's just, there, there have been a lot of these things in what, a year and a half now, two years, however long this has been for AEW, where they still feel like a B-level production um, and I feel bad for Boxley and Kingston and everybody because we were totally bought in on that. They built it up. They really had us. And I feel bad that that, that just that was the plan or that that's how it played out because those guys deserve better than that. It, it was a lot of the stuff going around them that was a problem. Yeah, it, it, you're 100% right. Now, after uh, Revolution went off the air, just to the local crowd that was there, John Moxley grabbed a mic. So Moxley, by the way, supposed to be dead supposed to be exploded and presumably being written off TV, right? That's what you would expect is the deal. His wife's pregnant. Looks like she's going to have the baby very soon. It makes all the sense in the world. 
So, I mean, there was a time where Moxley in WWE as Dean Ambrose. I think it was, I don't remember if it was a Raw or it was a house show, whatever the case. But he lost in the main event and got his ass kicked. He stayed in the middle of the ring, dead, knocked out cold until every single fan left the arena. That's the dedication that this guy has to wrestling. But this guy, who is supposed to have been exploded, lost the match, took two one-winged angels, all that, grabs a mic at the end of the show, with everyone still there, but the camera's off, and says this. So on one hand, I love that, right? Because it's mock shooting and just being truthful about what happened and how bad it was. And, you know, you you don't have to be blind to see how bad that was. But then you have Tony Khan. And I know what you read that he said, but I'm reading something from Wrestling Observer where Tony Khan says he's not sure what people expected outside of actually blowing guys up. I believe that's what you said. But then he said, Omega building a dud is the story. So that is supposed to be the story. However, no, that doesn't make a single iota of sense because Eddie Kingston sold it like he had just been involved in an explosion. Right. So again, exactly. that's what I tweeted. It's what I said earlier in the show. Them overwriting this by saying it was a dud, something accidental happened, or it was supposed to be that way is, I mean, maybe it was supposed to be that way, but saying it was supposed to be that way as a dud, as a storyline, F you, you're insulting my intelligence. Yeah, and, and overhyping something uh, was a theme of quite a bit on this show as well. So, yeah, th- th- that was not Kenny Omega building a dud is not the story. Now, if they want to turn that into the story, good luck. I think you're better off just, I, I don't know. But Like they can if they want, but they're going to be insulting their fans' intelligence. Y- you're going to have to have Eddie Kingston show up like on Dynamite right away and be like, I'm fine. Like he, he sold it because he was supposed to sell it. You got to have Kingston show. Yes, you have to have Kingston kind of come out there, maybe he's been checked for a concussion, right? Something that didn't physically affect his the, his actual body that you can see, something internal, right? Because you can say, oh, they were um, the explosion was so big that the ring shook and that he got a concussion or something yes, like that. Yeah, d- yeah, but, you know, and he has his head wrapped or whatever. But no, you can't show burns on his body or anything like that. And, and oh my God, it was just, it was so insulting, I gotta say. That, you know, I don't think it killed the pay-per-view. Like, I didn't dock the whole show a letter grade because of it. No. But it it really, I, as the pay-per-view was finishing, I wasn't in a great mood throughout the show. Like, I didn't find it to be a great show. But the main event picked me up. And it mm-hmm. was probably, I was probably going to course correct and like overgrade the show because of it. That kind of reminded me what the majority of the show was. The majority of the show is way better than that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it reminded me how many flaws there were, is I guess what I'm pointing out. Yep. All right, let's move on. We got like eight other matches to talk about. We'll go through these relatively quick. Well, what, what, I, wanted to, I mean, we had to start with this and we had to go along in this. And it's, I mean, Bully Ray tweeted, quoting Vince McMahon, saying the, the, the thing people remember is the finish. And yep. that's right. That's how people are going to remember the show. And it's also a reminder of that... It's been quite a while since WWE delivered a bad ending like that. You know, it, it, it had been a while since. Oh we shit! Saw WWE hasn't done that in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I mean they, they used to forget. There was a stretch where we dreaded a lot of those finishes. And oh yeah, they haven't, and it's just interesting that um, 
that now AEW is kind of on that side. And even even the hardcore AEW defenders aren't even you know. You, I mean, you have you have to be honest with yourself on yeah. this. Like, this was swamp fight bad. I mean, this was worse than swamp fight because at least that was cinematic. You know, like it, that that was that was a a being in the fiend, like this yeah. the supernatural type of dude. This is these are real people and explosions, right? This is the whole match was brutal, and then it on to the end. Was wah, wah. like I almost wish, Chris. I almost wish they did it like you ever see like MacGruber on Saturday Night Live, yeah, where they cut to something that's clearly not, you know, <laughs> what it is, and then they show an explosion. I would have almost rather them like cut to a car blowing up, yeah, and had that been because that would be funny. At least this was sad. Yeah, that's how I look at it. All right, let's move on. We got more to talk about uh, now. The co-main, I, I guess you can call it was Sting and Darby Allen against Brian Cage and Ricky Starks in a street fight. So so here's the thing, folks. Like, I'm not going to be, like, negative the whole show because I did enjoy this pay-per-view. But almost everything that happened, I found legitimate fault with. So I enjoyed this. But it was a cinematic match, after all, which is good. I was I thought it might actually be a real match. They swerved me a little bit. They went cinematic. That's great. It was the right decision. I could have done without the music video intro. And what was really confusing off the top is why Darby and Sting got to have this match on their home turf in the warehouse from their vignette, surrounded by masked lumberjacks, basically, all representing Sting and Darby Allen. Why would master manager, head of team Taz, Taz, allow this match to be on the home turf of Darby Allen and Sting. I, I couldn't, like I got past it once things like actually picked up and they got out of the ring, but it didn't make any sense for it to be in that location. Uh, I, I guess I didn't think of that. I mean, to me, I just thought street fight, I don't know, in, in a pandemic, maybe there aren't as many places available and Team Taz, if, if you want to go down the road, I'm sure Team Taz knew that they were going to interfere anyway. So it'd be a four on two, whatever they decided to do. Uh, that didn't bother me. I, I get okay. what you're saying, but it just—I'm just, it just saying. Really pop do you, logically, it didn't make sense. I thought the—I thought the setting was fantastic, but it made no logical sense why they would give them the advantage of knowing this area where they've been hanging out as hooligans or hoodlums or whatever the hell it is. Who, whose idea was it to have a street fight? Do you remember? Hmm. No, I don't remember. I don't. I, I'm, I'm just wondering if it was Darby and Sting's idea and they agree, and that's how it went. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. I, you know what? I don't know if it was anyone's idea. Maybe not. It may have been like a match announcement from AEW. Could be. I don't know that it was anyone's idea, but I'll say this. If it was Sting's idea and Darby, but it, I really don't think it was because they never speak, right? Yeah. Um, if it was their idea, then that would be acceptable. But I do, it was either no one's idea, meaning AEW announced it, or it was Team Taz's idea. Either way, it didn't make any sense for me for them to have this on their home turf. Like, you just, I don't know why that would ever be the case. Like, the Boneyard match made sense. Undertaker said, we're doing this my way. The Firefly Funhouse match made sense. The Swamp Fight made sense. All because it, it was, the Swamp Fight was actually neutral location. Uh, this didn't. Because it was just a normal street fight. So why would you allow the faces to have the upper hand? Anyway, uh, I'll get out yeah, of it. I'll yeah, get out uh, of it. That, that one didn't bother me. Okay, that's fine. Let's talk about the match. So Cage destroyed Darby early. Sting kicked the shit out of Starks. Cage awesomely walked up some stairs with Darby in a vertical suplex. Yeah. But that was really cool. Uh, Darby climbed a steel post for a coffin drop on Starks. 
after he and Sting powerbombed Cage through a table. And then all of a sudden, powerhouse Hobbs and Hook came to the rescue of their teammates, which was totally expected. Uh, Darby was heaved through a glass window, like swung with two guys swinging him. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Sting threw his bat away early in the street fight when I guess Starks kind of challenged him to fight him without it. But Darby climbed up like two stories in this warehouse, got the bat, threw it back down to Sting. Sting was able to use it. And then in what I think was the spot of the entire show, I mean, you can talk about some of the stuff in the main event, the Death Rider, the paradigm shift into that barbed wire was pretty freaking sick. But Darby Allen in this cinematic match jumped two stories falling out of in thin air, basically. It looked like he was skydiving into Brian Cage through this platform, makeshift platform that they made, basically eliminating Cage in the match. That left Sting and Starks in the ring and you knew what was going to happen there. Sting hits the Scorpion death drop for the one, two, three. I thought this was very similar, Chris, to the Boneyard match in terms of the dark tone, the cinematic effects, the way they went about it with the entrances and stuff. But it didn't really have the fun tongue-in-cheek vibe that that did. This was treated more serious, if that makes sense. So if you put all these cinematic matches in levels, right? And you have, in my opinion, the Boneyard match, the Firefly Funhouse match, and Stadium Stampede in tier one. All three of those, no matter how you rank them, were all exceptional, I would say. And then you take tier three and you have like the Swamp Fight. That which was largely garbage. I think this kind of fits right into tier two with that like Velveteen Dream. I think it was Velveteen Dream, Adam Cole, Street Fight, and NXT. Yeah. And this match, I think fit right in between. The, this was not great. It was not bad. It was a cinematic match. It did its job and it paid off the storyline. I really liked it. I, I'd probably say it was my fourth favorite cinematic match behind those three tier ones. I, I liked it more than Velveteen Dream, Adam Cole, and um, I didn't see the... Um, I think I liked it better than that also. The, the DIY one. Uh, this was but, better than... This was easily better than the DIY one. Yeah. So yeah. I, I enjoyed this. I thought these were really fun, creative spots. Darby Allen getting tossed into the, the shattered glass. Uh jumping two, really almost three stories, considering how far down they went into that pit. That was a really cool spot. Um, I, I really like this. I'm not a big Darby Allen guy. I don't care much for him. I don't, I don't think him as a champion makes any sense, but I generally have liked the story that they were doing. And I really like this match. Um, my, my problem with the match uh, was commentary I don't yes. think they needed commentary at all. They were taking away from it completely. And like we talked about the last match, there's so many times where they don't know what's going on and they kind of just stumble their way through trying to figure out and explain things. Just, I I'm surprised they didn't decide like two minutes in, hey guys, just pull the plug on, the just stop talking and we'll just go off with this or something. Because you could hear everything going on in there pretty well. I, I was very surprised they did the commentary on it. I didn't think it needed it. I thought it'd be a lot better if it didn't have it. But overall, I thought it was I thought it was, it was a good match. Yeah, it was good. Um, really, the only complaint I had was I thought the setting was weird given what I explained, and the whole beginning with the, was like music. Like 
the Cage and Starks arrival was like GTA. It was like a video yeah, game. Yeah, it was. It was weird because Darby they got Allen got a car. music video. Yeah, it was weird. They get into the car, take off, and then they're like there in a second. <laughs> and by the way, they got into the car at like not even dusk. Like it was still the afternoon, I think. And they arrived like pitch black midnight. You know, within like two seconds. It was in crazy. two seconds, right? Like they, there was no, there wasn't any footage of them on the highway or like they just and they knew how to get there, right? Even though it was some abandoned warehouse. Like what, what did they get? Like. Uh, dropped the pin dropped like the address from yeah. sting like did sting text ricky starks like here's where you need to meet us for the match and like they showed up so i just thought i just thought it was kind of just strange how they got into it but once they did get into it i mean it was a cinematic street fight and it was the action part of it was just as good as the boneyard match you know it, it was an older guy going through the you know the match and there was some stuff that was good and some stuff that wasn't, they clearly uh, retaped a couple things, and that's fine because yeah. it's, it's pre-taped. That's it's totally allowed. Um, so I enjoyed it. Like I said, tier two cinematic match, right on that same level with the NXT Street Fight, I would say, um, but a level ahead of easily the Swamp Fight. I mean, this this was way, way, way better than that. But this still didn't come close to Boneyard or Firefly or Stadium Stampede. That's how I'll kind of lay it in there. So moving on, uh, before we get to the other matches, let's talk about the surprise Hall of Fame worthy signing that AEW had, none other than Christian Cage. Now, anyone who listened to the Silver King's Ultimate Preview knows this was my prediction. Uh, Given that he was promoted as Hall of Fame worthy, he has long complained and joked mostly about not being in the WWE Hall of Fame. So as soon as Paul White said that, my mind went to Christian. There were other people, you know, I thought it could possibly be. But if you went into this thinking that AEW was going to sign Brock Lesnar (laughs) or CM Punk, and people thought that, Chris. I saw John Cena, Kazuchika Okada going around. Uh, If if you thought it was any of those four guys, you set yourself up for disappointment. On this show, I talk all the time about Tony Khan overpromising and underdelivering. And the the typical truth with AEW is that when Tony Khan promises something, he underdelivers. Yep. But when he doesn't tell you about it, it overdelivers as a great surprise. Yep. For example, mocks at double or nothing. Sting showing up at Winter is Coming or whenever it was. So when they don't tell you and surprise you, they do a great job. But when they build it up, it's never as good as they build it up. Tony Khan is a carny, just like Vince McMahon is. And I have to say, even though I criticize him for it, there's nothing wrong with that. He is a wrestling promoter. This was a $50 pay-per-view. He wanted you to buy it. And he got you to buy it. So he succeeded. Now, as far as Christian goes, Christian, in my opinion, Chris, is a good signing. Uh, He can still clearly move. He has some name value. I'm a little surprised that WWE didn't go and sign him considering he's been cleared. Maybe their doctors didn't clear him, but AEW's did. But like for significant long-term competition, obviously. He was in the ring at the Royal Rumble. But what's crazy about this is he was in the Royal Rumble, I think in the final four, 35 days ago, just over a month. And now he's on an AEW pay-per-view. 
So that's really interesting in terms of the all-time wrestling, like showing up on one show and then appearing on another, that whole type of deal. So I don't think this is a huge signing. It's not monumental. It's not sting level, nothing like that. But he is a recognizable face and it's going to be a good thing in the end for them as long as they don't over push him. I'm happy for Christian. I really like him. Uh, I I know he's had issues with concussions. I hope he's okay. I hope everything goes okay. Um, he had a he, Christian had a good run in TNA. You know, he's a multi-time world champion there before he came back to WWE and, and won world championships. But, but what this does for AEW, I don't think I don't think much of anything because for one, they. I mean, I, I'm glad everybody has jobs, but they just have too many people on that roster. There are so many Way people that they're trying to do stuff with, and there just isn't room. I don't watch Dark. I know that's going on as well. But think of all the WWE guys that have come over, and, or former WWE guys that have come over. And outside of Moxley, like, not counting Cody, but outside of Moxley, like, what's what what have they done? What has Miro done? What is, Zach Ryder's not even in the company anymore. What has Sean, <laughs> yeah. Sean, Sean Spears done? Like nothing. Not, none of these have really worked. I, I don't really know. I don't think Christian's going to like move the needle at all. No, no. It's 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 whatever. You know, it, they not only did Paul White say it's a Hall of Fame worthy signing, but they went on the Tony Khan was on their their unrestricted podcast hyping it up as well. And and, and Aubrey Edwards was because like, we legitimately don't know. It's they hyped it up quite a bit, and that's their job. It's fine. It definitely under delivered the hype, and you know that that happens. But there were it, it was a, one of several things in the show that got hyped up and under delivered. Uh, so there was a bit of a trend there. Um, so you know, friend of the pod Dave Schilling, you know, asked CM Punk a couple of days ago on Twitter, who should AEW sign? Who should be the big surprise? And CM Punk said they should focus on who they have. And they he's should. right. There, are, there is a lot of young talent in that company that's getting lost in the shuffle by being in these giant multi-man matches and, and stuff like that. And it's just, it's really crowded. I want everybody to have jobs. It's good. I just, it's it's a lot if you're trying to give everybody a story here. I agree. I think, yeah, I was going to ask you as a follow-up whether you thought it was hypocritical that AEW has talked so much about featuring young talent, focusing on young talent, and having the best talent in the world. But they go out and sign B and C level old guys, right? Like WWE gets so much criticism for bringing Goldberg back for a match. And I don't like it. I'm one of those who criticize them, right? I think it's ridiculous. Now, if you want to bring Goldberg back for a non-title match um, on a WrestleMania against Baron Corbin or something like that, then sure, go do it. Uh, you know, no, no sweat. But to put Goldberg in title matches is ridiculous. And, and to AEW's credit, they don't do that, right? So they're not, they didn't have Sting immediately go after the championship. They haven't had Matt Hardy contend for, I don't think, the TNT title or the AEW title. But you look at the people that they're signing, and yeah, it's one thing to get John Mox. John, John's not old. John's a legit piece of talent. Ma, um, I was going to say Mox. Miro is a legit piece of talent. These are guys that either have, in Mox's case, or will, in Miro's case, get their opportunity to do something big. But then you look at the older guys that they're signing, and they already have Arn Anderson and Jake the Snake and Tully Blanchard in those manager roles. Taz. And it's too much, and Arn doesn't do shit. 
and I've said it a million times, Arn sucks. With in the coach role, Arn's great. Arn's a great wrestler. I'm, fi- I'm fine with it because to me, he's not taking up space. He is taking up space. Arn's a great wrestler, all time Hall of Famer, best spinebuster ever. Um, as Cody's coach, it's the stu- one of the stupidest managerial. Like, like WWE had a um, what's it called? The line dude. Help me, uh, Somalier. They had a Somalier. Somehow made more sense than Arn Anderson coaching Cody. I'm just, I'm just saying, but. So I find it slightly hypocritical that they talk about pushing all this young talent and MJF's cutting promos about being 24 and Jungle Boy's out here having great matches. And Darby Allen, I think Darby Allen's revitalized himself. I was down on him a little bit ago, but I'm starting to love Darby Allen again. And they got Phoenix and Pac and Penta and these incredible, Miro, these incredible freaking talents. And they just have Matt Hardy in a match with Hangman Page. And now Big Show is there. And I know he's mostly going to be commentary. And if that's if he does 90% commentary, then it's going to be fine. Um, but now you have Christian. And Christian, to me, I never gave a shit about Christian. It was always Edge. And Christian was the other guy. And I don't think he ever did anything in TNA or when he came back to WWE after that that ever made him feel like a main eventer. Christian, to me, is always a mid-carder. So at 47 years old in 2021, does Christian move the needle? No, he doesn't. It's a lackluster signing. But I got to be honest, number one, I predicted it on our ultimate preview. And I've been talking on this podcast for the better part of two years about Tony Khan over-promising and under-delivering. So I think I personally have gotten to the point, Chris, where I don't expect the over-promise. Like when it happens, I go, oh, this is going to underdeliver. I just hope it's okay. And this was okay. So I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm not as hurt or di- dejected as others are that were actually buying into the overpromising. So maybe it was just my mindset, but I knew he was um, carnying it up. And that's what he did. He carnied it up. Christian is still a name, but no, is it impressive? Does it move the needle? Does anyone care? No, no one's writing headlines about Christian. No, I, I I expected Christian to. I thought maybe Kurt Angle, but probably not. But then, like you know, people I enjoy on Twitter are mentioning Okada, and I'm and, and us other podcasts are mentioning that, and I'm like, ah, maybe, maybe. And no, I you you've been on top of it in in terms of what not to expect. AEW still just has a really really fervent fan base that buys into these and I think sometimes that makes its way to me so I'll make sure I'm not too excited next time they make next time they hype something up uh, uh, when it comes around a couple more Tony Khan things since this thing is happening uh, this press conference is happening as we're taping this uh, Tony Khan said the finish of revolution will be addressed on AEW Dynamite he compared Omega hammering like Garth on Wayne's World so he's what? really trying to sell that this was booked to be a dud on purpose. I, I mean, I I don't think he... I, I think he's adapting on the flying, saying that's what they're going to go with. That was obviously was not the plan. We lying? know that wasn't the plan. But why are you lying? I Because they're doing carny wrestling stuff. Yeah. That's what they do. All right. And then Tony Khan also promises that there will be aces up his sleeve in 2021. He says we'll see things that we're not expecting. So, okay. He's been saying this for two years. So, again, full carny end of show. You know, I'm not listening to this press conference. I would not be surprised if he said that this was the best pay-per-view of all time, which is what he said after like the first three or four AEW pay-per-views. 
Um, but let's get off of the Tony Khan criticism and, and all this. Let's get to the rest of the card. Let's talk about the rest of the matches. I got one, two, three, four, five. I got six more matches to talk about. We're going to run through them right now. Face of the Revolution ladder match. Cody against Scorpio Sky, Lance Archer, Penta L Zero M, Max Caster 10, and a mystery opponent. Uh, the brass ring, which is what they were trying to grab to win this match, Ooh. was comically large, uh, like a ring in Sonic the Hedgehog. I posted, I thought, a funny image. You guys can decide for yourself. Uh, the whole idea of the brass ring, of course, is a shot at Vince McMahon and WWE. So, you know, on one hand, Stop it's like, it. uh, what? Stop doing that. It is. It's what it is. No, I I, I agree. I'm telling oh, okay. AEW okay. to stop doing these right. things. It makes them look small. It makes it, Cody look small when he's smashing a throne and all these and, yes. and all these little shots that they're doing. It makes them look small time when they do that. Be it, it makes them look small time, especially when they make the ring look like that. Yeah. And then they finish the pay-per-view the way they did. Yeah. But be proud of what you are and promote what you have. Don't define yourself by what other people do. It's I agree. They, they should be better than that. Especially now you're two years into the company. But yeah. I did find it funny, at least considering it is a shot, how comically large it was. So if that was meant to be that way for comedy sake, then I did appreciate it because it was ridiculously big. Like why, why would the ring ever need to be that big? I guess they wanted to make sure people could see it, but man, it was like twice as thick as it, it was, was distracting. It was the distracting. I know. Um, but regardless, okay. So Ethan Page was the surprise entrant. Most online fans that I saw expected it to be him. So I hope that they were happy with that. Uh, but the de debut live was ice cold. No reaction whatsoever from the fans. Uh, as far as the match, Penta hit uh, the first two big spots. He ran up a ladder for a flying senton and then hit Cody with a Canadian destroyer on an elevated ladder. Really, really good spot. Cody was taken out of the match and tended to by medical in full view, which I believe is kayfabe to write him off with a torn rotator cuff and also because Brandy's pregnant, but we will find out. Uh, Scorpio Sky nailed Caster with a frog splash onto a ladder. Cody came back late favoring his taped shoulder and Archer superplexed him off the top of a ladder. Caster followed with a diving elbow drop through a ladder. Archer chokeslammed everyone and hit Caster with the blackout onto a ladder. Page low-blowed Archer as he was climbing the ladder and hit a razor's edge. Then Jake Roberts enters the ring, clotheslines Page, then eats a super kick from Penta. And he looked legitimately hurt. They were like carefully removing him from the ring, like taking him off the ring apron, and they walked him right to the back. He didn't even stay for the rest of the match. So I don't know if they were working me. Very possible they were working me. But it did seem like he actually got hurt. Uh, so then you had... Cody and Penta, they botched a springboard cutter. Cody and Scorpio Sky then battled atop the ladder. Sky banged Cody's arm, his injured arm, and shoved him off the ladder, grabbing the ring. So I thought the match was okay, Chris. I've seen worse ladder matches, but most of the ladder matches I've seen, I think, have been better. It's probably the best way I can put it. I thought Archer or Page would win the entire thing. I did pick Archer, but I don't fault them for going with Sky, other than the fact that he's barely been on TV recently. Like he was on Dynamite Commentary last week. Other than that, we haven't seen him. So you're giving this guy a title shot. The presumption is Darby Allen's going to retain, but then again, kayfabe is coming out of the street fight. So maybe they put the title on Scorpio Sky or something like that. I, I thought Archer was the right person to win. Page, ultimately, I was not impressed. I didn't think 
in the ring, he did anything special. They didn't do anything to put him over as maybe not the winner, but the number two guy, the guy who got made by the match besides the winner. So I was totally unimpressed by him. I heard that the way he impresses people is on the mic. So maybe we'll see that on Wednesday. But those are generally my thoughts on the match. I, this was a case with several of the opening matches to this card in that I didn't know who some of these people were. I do not know who Ethan Page is. I don't follow a lot of wrestling outside of WWE and AEW. I actually only knew who it was because Jack Crosby tweeted earlier in the day saying he hoped it was him and that him and Darby Allen had like a great blood feud or something like that. And so I saw that. So so when it pops up, I'm thinking, oh, maybe Paige will win and they'll go into the Paige Darby thing and we'll figure out what this is because they didn't, they didn't really tell you who he is uh, when he makes a surprise. And that's a surprise when they do uh, when they do stuff like this, like when uh, Brian Cage made a surprise appearance in a ladder match as well. It's like, okay, well, we don't really know who this person is if, if you don't already know who they are going in. So whatever, uh, we'll, we'll see what Paige does. I don't know. I like Scorpio Sky winning. I like him. Uh, I think he can pretty much do it all, but it was a bit random because he kind of just got put in this match late and was on commentary and we hadn't seen him. So that was weird. Him holding the ring, uh, holding the giant ring while winning looked like someone <laughs> had thrown him an inner tube uh, after he was like drowning or something. It looked like one of those pillows you sit on. If yeah. You so yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, that's what it looked like. It was a gold yeah, hemorrhoid. Yeah, pillow. it was, you know, <laughs> I, I think both ladder matches and battle Royals, AEW hasn't, done very well no. I, like i think back to the no. casino ladder match with the poker chip that was a mess of a match this oh, was yeah this yeah. was quite a bit better than the that cage one yeah, yeah so yeah. in the end i was i think pleased with the result uh and i don't think i have many more thoughts on that that's actually a good point i don't think i've liked and i could be told otherwise but i don't think i've liked any of their ladder matches or battle royals the only good one was the 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 bucks versus um the, the, the tag ladder match. I hated that. Oh, really? Yeah, against Penta and Phoenix. Yeah, I like that one. I thought it was the most choreographed. It was, it was. Ridiculous. But it was. I mean, it, okay, I, I shouldn't say I hate, like, it was entertaining as hell. Yes. But it was so over the top and choreographed. And like, I, uh, well, I, I think I mean, that got five yeah. stars. I did not think it deserved five oh, stars. No, no, no. Um, but was it entertaining? Yes, it was entertaining for sure. Um, okay. Let's keep going here. <laughs> we got a little bit more. Uh, the tag team title, this opened the main card. The Young Bucks defending against Chris Jericho and MJF. The Bucks were aggressive early and hit a springboard sent on. Nick Jackson flung himself over the ropes into a Canadian destroyer, one of like a thousand we saw uh, over the course of the show on MJF. And the Bucks hit a shout out for a near fall. Jericho countered a Meltzer driver into a tombstone. That was cool. MJF did the DX chop like 10 times. I don't even know why he did that. Uh, Matt Jackson got hit with a bat while Aubrey Edwards was distracted, but he kicked out of the heat seeker from MJF at 2.8. There were like a dozen other near falls in the match. Jericho accidentally hit Wardlow with Judas effect when he attempted to interfere. The Bucks countered the lion salt with super kicks and hit the BTE trigger for another near fall. They finally landed like a hundred super kicks, bouncing MJF back and forth, and then the Meltzer driver to retain the titles. There was a lot of good action in this match, Chris, but it just kind of, to me, felt overindulgent with all of the near falls. You can't really complain about a Johnny Gargano-Adam Cole match and then tell me that you had no problem with the number of near falls in this one. No question the right team won, the Bucks needed to retain, but I didn't necessarily love it, but it was a good match. It was fine. It, it was it was a Young Bucks match. 
I mean, I mean, pretty much it was, it was fine. It was, I really enjoy MJF and Jericho together, but no, they, they shouldn't have won this match. I get why they opened it up. Opening with an exciting tag match is usually the way to go. And it was what it was. By the way, I do need to say that I went, let me see, seven, eight. I went nine and one predicting AEW revolution. Nice. And I'm, and I'm not saying that where I'm some smart wrestling. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you no, are. no, I'm really not. I'm really not. What I'm saying is everything that happened with the exception of the winner of the ladder match was completely predictable. Like there was no way Sheeta was going to lose her title. We'll talk about that in yeah. a second. There was no way the Young Bucks were losing. There was no way Omega was losing. Those are your three title matches. Now, everything else that happened, yeah, they could have gone either way. I just got those right, whatever. But it, it really just felt like a obvious pay-per-view. And when you have four pay-per-views a year, I don't think you can really afford that. Like WWE, you know, we've done it before. You go in, you predict all five matches and you go on and you're like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Sometimes predictable things are good. I could play the sound drop. But I think when you only have four pay-per-views, it shouldn't be as predictable as this was. What do you, what do you think? It's, I, I mean, when you only do four pay-per-views, you kind of blow off the feud at, at those. And typically you blow off a feud with a face winning. So it, it, it's kind of, I guess it makes sense in that way. But yeah, it is noticeable when you have that many matches and a heavy amount of them are maybe a, a predictable result. Not like three title game. matches, no title changes, two number one contenderships. Sky was probably more obvious than I gave him. You know, I probably like, I guess most people probably picked him. I just didn't. But the Casino Battle Royal, the only team that got a single, that got like a highlight match on Dynamite is the one that won it. Yeah. It was just to me, it was a little bit too predictable for the entire show. But okay, let's keep going. Uh, Adam Hangman Page fought Matt Hardy in a big money match. It started with Hardy trying to break hand, Hangman's hand outside and later hitting twist of fate. Hardy also hit a razor jazz bomb for a near fall. Pretty cool move. Private party distracted the referee after Hangman hit Deadeye. Hardy countered the buckshot lariat brilliantly into a side effect. Then he hit twist of fate, but Hangman still kicked out. Dark Order came down to even the odds and take out private party. And Page hit the buckshot lariat for the win. This is a tease for the rest of the matches I'm going to talk about. But... I had this as the best match of the undercard. It exceeded my expectations. I, I saw a lot of people didn't like this match, but I thought it was fun, smartly booked with a strong finish and the right person won. So I had no problem with this at all. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it exceeded my expectations. It was fun. We got the Dark Order bit at the end where he finally embraces them. I didn't see the latest BTE. Apparently that may have been hinted at. In that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't watch those. But, but um yeah, it was fun. It, it, it was like, I didn't think this was a pay-per-view worthy feud, but as a match on its own, it was, it was fun. It was yeah, fun. it wasn't built long enough to be a pay-per-view match, but it was, I mean, it was enough. There was enough there. Yeah, the, thought, the, the big fun. money Matt thing's just kind of, he's been trying to find something since that whole deal with Sammy Guevara. And it's better than Broken Matt. It is. I, I when Broken Matt is good, I don't think so. But but Broken Matt was never good. He's trying something different, and obviously Matt Hardy's really smart at finding different gimmicks and all that stuff. This one just is kind of effort. the fact. Let me put it this too, way. too much talk about contracts and stuff. And the fact that Woken Matt Hardy in WWE was better than Broken Matt Hardy in AEW actually says 
decent amount. Well, it kind of got all derailed by the Sammy Guevara stuff. It kind of it wasn't a long run, really, of, of Broken Matt Hardy. Um, the pandemic probably changed some things. Maybe I don't know, but it was the start of the pandemic to like it was fine. what was it November or something? Yeah, eh, something like that. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I, I'm glad that he's big money, Matt. I think it's better. This was good. I liked it. So you guys can hate it if you want. I saw a lot of people not liking it. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, women's Championship, Hikaru Shida against Ryo Mezunami. The women's title, one of three title matches on the show, the TNT title not defended, was the third of eight matches on the main card. Uh, Mezunami made a bunch of jokes early in the match, like Joshi type of shit. Shida crushed her on the stairs and later hit Tamashita but couldn't get the cover. Mizunami hit an avalanche guillotine leg drop finisher, but Shida kicked out. There was a botch. Then Shida did a great straitjacket suplex and a couple falcon arrows. Shida hit Tamashita, didn't get the fall, hit it again, and Mizunami kicked out. I thought it was ridiculous. Then she basically kneed or kicked her in the head. I didn't exactly see what it was to get the job done and retain the title. I thought the match should have ended on the second or third Tamashita. It was a really strange finish to the match. I think the work was okay, but I know that Sheeta can, I've seen her do better. So I didn't like it in particular at all. Didn't do anything for me. After the match, Nyla Rose, Britt Baker, Maki Ito, and Rebel all attacked. And then Thunder Rosa came and made the save. I don't know why Rio didn't come out when she was there for the whole show. Uh, One would assume they're going to do an eight-woman match at some point. But in the same week, and I know you haven't seen it, but you need to see it, Chris. In the same week that we got Kaylee Ray against Maiko Setamora on NXT UK, a five-star women's match, this didn't hold the candle. And for this to be on the pay-per-view and be booked the way it was, uh, you know what? I actually have to come and reach it right here. I'm going to do it. Mark zero. I'm marking zero. I didn't like it. I, I, I've heard good things about the NXT UK match. Have not seen it. I know I need to see it. This match, I don't know anything about. Mizunami, again, there, there were a number of people on the show who I just, I don't know. And if you're not a hardcore wrestling fan, you don't know. Right. Um, so I was just kind of whatever coming into this match. I actually really enjoyed Sheeta in this match. Uh, mm-hmm. Her pay-per-view matches are really, really good. And then we get so little of her I know. week to week on Dynamite. <laughs> it's and crazy. it's like, man, like, I, I would just love to see more of her in better feuds and whatever. and you see some of the women who were in that tag match and I'm thinking, well, these are some of the people I want to see up against. She didn't of course. probably will moving forward. So it was kind of whatever. I didn't really care about this match coming in and didn't really care about it coming out of it. Yep. Didn't care. No, no good build. The eliminator tournament I thought was a total dud. I know people liked it. Some, uh, I think here's the deal. I don't think I like Joshi wrestling, but I do like Joshi wrestlers. So like Sheeta, Asuka, Kyrie Sane, Io Shirai, these are great women's wrestlers. Yes. But when you do a Joshi match, I think that's what I don't enjoy. And that might be it. I do think there's something to be said for wrestling a more Americanized style because they have the skill. Like when you see Io Shirai fight an NXT match or Asuka uh, in a really good match in WWE, like Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks, man, it bangs in a major way. But this Rio Mizunami, it didn't work. She was not the right number one contender, not for a pay-per-view. Yeah, I was You have Britt surprised. Baker, you have Nyla Rose. 
I mean, so I know. I mean, I know. Yeah, I, I, I know Nyla Rose and Sheeta have had a lot of matches, but they've been really good matches. And, yeah. And so I, I was very surprised that Mizunami won. Yeah, like Nyla Rose started her career in AEW kind of rough, but she stepped up in a major way. So, I love, I love Nyla Rose. And like they did all this building of Britt Baker and the Swole match and all this, and like she's never on TV. And and by the way, I don't think Britt Baker's a particularly good wrestler. I think she's very good on the mic. Um, but she's never on TV. And she could have come in here and been the heel champion. Because you have all these face women that would have been able yeah. to go, go against her. So weird booking. I, look, I don't think they booked the women's division well. That's known. And this was another example. Uh, Miro and Kip Sabian fought Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. Miro and Sabian did a really weak backstage attack before the match, throwing Chuck's head through some fake glass. Miro I, thought, I liked it. I thought that was I thought that was pretty intense. Okay, that's fine. You're allowed to disagree. <laughs> uh, Miro demanded his music be played and berated Chuck on the mic. Orange entered the match late after the attack. He was still down backstage without a tag and knocked Miro out cold with an orange punch. Not believable. Cassidy was absolutely killing Miro in the ring, hitting him with everything. Orange punch. Uh, shit, his entire moveset, basically. He was absolutely dominating Miro. Until Penelope jumped up on the rope, Miro pushed Orange into her. You had no idea who was legal in the match and who wasn't because there were basically no tags until they super late. They didn't even late. start in that way, yeah. Yeah, they didn't even start with tags. There was one late, but like you never knew who was legal. Miro forced Chuck to tap with the accolade. They got the right winners. Like Miro absolutely had to win this. Thank God he won. But no, okay, hey man, I, I'm just being honest here. Zero. Point zero. The match was like seven minutes. This is the culmination of the feud. It was worthless. Give me Miro Orange Cassidy one-on-one 15 minutes. That's what I want. I don't want this shit. This was bad. Yeah, I, I'll say I'm optimistic about Miro coming out of it because now he looks pretty ruthless and aggressive and in and, and a lot of different things. Did someone he- say ruthless yeah. aggression <laughs> yes that's where it was going but <laughs> it was like you know miro comes in and he's like a gamer character and i'm like i, I don't nobody cares about this and kip sabian's kip sabian's character too i want miro to be a monster and now it appears he might be that that's what we need to get out of him not this other stuff he was doing kip sabian does nothing for me i actually i enjoyed the uh chuck taylor had to be miro's butler for a little bit, I thought that was actually pretty creative. I love how Miro. I calls agree. Him, I love how yeah. Miro calls him Charles, and you know that beatdown at the end was pretty good. So I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic things will start moving forward for Miro here. But him being with Kip Sabian and Penelope, Penelope Ford is doing nothing for him. Get him on his own and just start dominating. Yeah, he's got to, he's got to turn on them. He absolutely has to turn on them, turn face. Or just turn extra heel, however you want to do it. You're right. The Charles stuff was the best part of the entire feud. But the start of it, the end of it, how long it went. I know that Trent got injured. Who knows what the plan was. But this was a dud. It just was. Uh, The Casino Tag Team Battle Royal for the number one contendership to the Tag Team Championship. So I did get something a little bit wrong on the Ultimate Preview. When I said it felt like they just did this match. They didn't exactly do this match. They did a tag team battle royal on TV for the number one contendership, which Jericho and MJF won. But this was the casino version of it. So it was slightly different. But I said going in, 
They just did a tag team battle royal to determine the number one contenders for the pay-per-view. Why are you doing another tag team battle royal on the pay-per-view? Do it like three months from now, right? We talked about WWE doing far too many gauntlet matches in a row. This is ridiculous to do another battle royal. And then the whole cool part about the casino battle royal that AEW has introduced because they don't want to do a battle royal. They don't want to do a Royal Rumble and take from WWE is if you remember, they do it based on card suit, right? So people draw spades, kings, hearts, and clubs, and they come to the ring in groups. And that's the takeoff on the Royal Rumble, but it's different. But they didn't do that. They forgot about that. And they did a tag team Royal Rumble with 90 seconds between entrance. The thing took forever. Everyone got an entrance. It was way long. Half the teams were total jobbers. I'm convinced they did this only to promote the casino mobile app, which they advertised like four times during the match. Evil Uno had a laughably bad botched elimination where he ran himself full speed into a post outside. And that was the bad part. Now let me get to the good part. The final four. Ray Phoenix, Jungle Boy, John Silver, and Pac were the final four. Phoenix tightrope punted Silver off the apron. Jungle Boy dodged Pac, who fell out of the ring for an elimination. Phoenix did a tope suicida, literally over the barricade into the crowd. Insane. The guy is nuts. Uh, Jungle Boy hit a poison rana, but Phoenix got the final elimination for the win. I do think the match sucked a big one. It was really bad. It was way too long, but the finish was a lot of fun. Bucks versus Death Triangle is going to be a fantastic Dynamite tag team match. I'm very much looking forward to it, but this was a large waste of time. I would have, this should have been on the pre-show if you were going to do it. Take the women's tag team match, don't even have it or put it on the main show. But this was not a second match into a pay-per-view bout. This never should have been on the show. Yeah, I, I like the end. I like the people they had in at the end. Uh, that That was exciting. But for most of that, yeah, again, a lot of people in this match. I don't I don't know. Maybe they're on dark, maybe they're not, but there's a lot of jobber tag teams in there and it was a large waste of time. I think tag team battle royals are weird. They sort of take twice as long because you have to eliminate twice as many people. Right. Uh, and I thought having the the full clock on the stage was distracting because there's always a clock counting down even from a minute and a half. You'd so, think they'd learn from WWE that WWE made that mistake. Yeah. And they paid for it, if you remember. Yeah. Don't, like don't a year do that. Ago. Just just show yeah. me when there's 10 seconds left so I get so I can otherwise focus on what's going on in the ring. Um I don't know who Bear Country is, but I they look like some big meaty men who like slapping meat. So they did. that was cool. Um and uh yeah, it was just kind of I I had I had those thoughts about the casino game app thing they're doing too. That's probably why they did it. Mm -hmm. uh, this was, again, largely forgettable and took far too long. Yeah, just didn't work for me. Honestly, what they probably should have done is a casino battle royal for the number one contendership for the TNT title and brought in Page, Ethan Page, and done that as one match rather than a ladder match and then this yeah. and determine two number one. I don't know why you're determining number one contenders on one of your four biggest shows of the year. I mean, I'm fine with it. I, 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 two. I, two wish w, I know. I wish WWE did a lot more number one contender matches. Uh, I don't, well, they I don't do, man. I mean, like 
format. They do. They do Money in the Bank. They do Elimination Chamber. They do Royal Rumble. Those are all different versions. Uh, well, you know? they have recently, but in, in for long stretches they don't. But that's fair. That I agree. And, and I like the concept of number one contender matches and tournaments right. and battle royals and ladder matches. All good stuff. But to put two of them on one show, to me, was just too much. You know, if you wanted the ladder match to represent the TNT title, since that was not being defended, cool. The tag yeah. team one just didn't have a place on yeah, the show. Yeah, th- th- this should have been the pre-show, pre-show match. It, Absolutely. It was, it was a mess. You knew it was going to be a mess. Now, the actual pre-show, pre-show match, Thunder Rosa and Rio against Britt Baker and Maki Ito, uh, who was the surprise? Uh, you know, Rebel called out of it with an injury, which wasn't it was fake and kayfabe. Uh, Maki Ito, who is a diminutive Japanese Joshi wrestler who calls her fans simps and likes to curse uh, and sinks her own entrance. She's popular with people online, I guess. I gathered that. <laughs> yeah. Um, for multiple, probably different reasons. Uh, but so she was a big deal. Some people were really happy she was there. Uh, it was a forgettable match to me. It was twice as long as it needed to be for a kickoff show match with way too many false finishes. Rio's selling was the best part. She's awesome at selling. Uh, Makiito hit a nice Escalera swinging DDT. Baker got an assist from Rebel swinging a clutch, uh, crutch to pin Thunder Rosa. It was a smart finish for the heels. Mediocre match. Ito was a nice surprise. She has a lot of charisma. Fans like her. Uh, you know, there's not. It's a pre-show match. There's nothing to really criticize that hard. It was fine. Yeah. Again. Uh, so again, someone new who I didn't know, who they didn't do a good job of explaining who she was to me. I gathered it as it went along. I thought I heard in the match that they said she arrived in Jacksonville. I think yesterday after an 18-hour flight of some kind. So I assume she was just in a match a day ago or two days ago in Japan. Yeah. So I guess I don't know if quarantines are still a thing or not. He, I don't know. Apparently not. Yeah. 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 So I, 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 she does she does a lot of headbutts. Uh, she does a falling headbutt off of the top turnbuckle, which was reminded me of somebody I don't want to think about with terms sure. of head injuries in sure. wrestling. Kind of this, just kind of whatever. I think Thunder Rosa is awesome. I would yes. love to see her in a number one contender match or, or competing for the title. Uh, but I, I got to say, like, with this women's division, it's like, I feel like every month they're, like, adding somebody to it, and I'm losing track of who matters and who doesn't. And it's it, it, even, you know, Thunder Rosa first even came in a month or two ago, and, and it's just like, we keep getting new people and not building up the people that they have. It's good to see that Rio is back, but... Oh, yeah, well, you get you get Red Velvet and Jade Cargill. Yeah, Jade Cargill. There's, there's new women all the time, and all of a sudden, they're the big thing, and they're getting the, the spotlight match, and then I'm just losing and you don't track see of who's, who's supposed to matter yeah. and who doesn't, because it's different every month. You don't see them. You don't see the champion ever, hardly ever until she's needed for a feud. Yeah. Abaddon's there for... She gets a title match. You don't see her anymore. Like, it's just extremely strange. Yeah, I, I will say that... Um, that the uh, Rebels crutch shot yeah. that won the match was <laughs> particularly brutal. She smacked her hard. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was a good, it was a good shot for, for the finish. And again, there's another outside interference causing impacting the result of the match. This was the first one, so it was notable at the time. Right. And uh, she got her good. Well, we got it there, right? We got it in... The Miro Sabian match with Penelope. Yep, we got we it got in the street it in the, fight. 
we got in the street fight. We got in the Hangman Page match. Yep. Dark Order helped Page and Private Party almost hurt them. Uh, the tag team match, I think. Yeah, there was a bat that was used. Wardlow was involved. Yep. Um, now the, the ladder match, nothing. That was good. Uh, the and then the main. Well, no, event, that's not true. Jake what? the Snake Roberts. Sure, but okay. I mean, I mean <laughs> still this, fine. But he was, was he out. was actually he was actually in the ring. That wasn't even outside interference. Yeah. That was literally a dude in the ring, right? Yeah. Um, and then the main event, obviously, the Good Brothers coming down. So yeah. yes, almost every match has significant interference. And again, that's not necessarily a problem. But when you say that your your product is not going to be that, and you do it in nearly every match, that's your product. It doesn't mean as much when it happens every time. You know, right. it, it doesn't hit as much when the Good Brothers come into the main event when you've already seen outside interference five times. It, you know what? That's a great point. Like, I was 1,000% fine with the Good Brothers in the main event. It made total storyline sense. But when you see interference in every match leading up to it, it's less impactful. Because if you hadn't seen that throughout the show, then you maybe your brain isn't focused on that. Like, you're not thinking that that's going to happen because... It's something that's been happening. It's like when you watch Raw, right? And you see a roll-up finish. If you don't see one for four weeks and then you get one, you don't think twice about it. But when you see three inside of four matches, you're like, holy shit, why are they only doing roll-up finishes? It's it's the exact same concept here. Yep. You're, it's a great point that you just made. Okay, so that is the instant analysis. Now we finish up by grading the show, AEW Revolution. Our fan poll came in. And if we remember, in the pre-show poll, 26% thought it would be an A, 47% thought it would be a B, that's 72% A and B, 17% C, 10% D and F. Our post-show poll was not kind to AEW. 8% of respondents said it was an A, the lowest out of any category. 28% said it was a B. Wow. That is a grand total of 36, down from 72 which is half. Hashtag math. Uh, 44% said it was a C and 20% said D to F. I actually just refreshed to 21% D to F. So Chris, what is your grade for AEW? Now knowing what our listeners think. My expectation coming in was a B. I'm. I think I'm sticking with a B. I'm, I'm in that B B minus range. I didn't hate anything on here. I guess other than the very end, um, I, I had I had minimal expectations coming in, and they generally matched those expectations. So I say B, maybe B minus, but uh, I'm probably in a low B range. So I just want to clarify. You thought this was as good as Elimination Chamber. Did I give Elimination Chamber a B? We were at least in the B range, yeah. I thought I gave it a B plus. I've been pretty kind to all. I'm saying the B, the B range, B plus, B, B minus. So that's the range. Okay, but but I, to me, there's. I mean, I, I was. I think I was high B plus in that sense. This I'm low B, maybe a B minus. I, okay. I'm probably more of a B minus. You're on the same uh, letter grade though, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so I am nowhere near you on this. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm just not, and. I heavily criticized, I'm forgetting the name of the pay-per-view. It's late. It's, it's past 1 a.m. Eastern. Uh, the one with Matt and Sammy, the, that AEW pay-per-view, thought it was a large failure, right? The other AEW pay-per-views I've reviewed on this show have been A's and B's. They, they've put on 
very good pay-per-views. They did not put on a good pay-per-view Sunday night. I had a friend of mine who actually helped with the logo on this podcast, Jamie. He tweeted at me, or not at me, sorry, he tweeted just to the universe during the show. Unfortunate ending to Revolution because outside that moment was certainly the best wrestling show I have seen in some time. Well, <laughs> so people think that. Some people think that. I think you are high, legitimately <laughs> high, if you think that was the best wrestling pay-per-view you've seen in some time, especially we just had Wrestle Kingdom, which was very good. I know not everyone watches that. The Royal Rumble was very good. Elimination Chamber was very good. And as we've said, every WWE pay-per-view since at least SummerSlam, I don't think any of them got below a B- minus from either of us yeah. or, or the audience on an average grade. So this was not that. I am very close, I have to say, to giving this a D plus, but I'm not going to. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because the main event, Omega Moxley, outside of the explosion shit, was really freaking good. Mm -hmm. It was a awesome hardcore match. The street fight was extremely solid. You know, if you say that's a B or a B minus on its own, that's acceptable. You got something with Christian, whatever. The ladder match was not bad. The tag team match was not bad. The Hangman Page match was good. And everything else I didn't like on the show. So I have to be in the C range. But dude, when you consider the finish of the show, you have to give some demerit. You have to. So I'm giving this a C- minus for AEW Revolution. The show as an entire whole fell way below my expectations, even if the Hangman Page match and the Barbed Wire death match, not the finish, but not the end of the show, I mean, but the finish of the match, the match on its whole, thoroughly exceeded my expectations. I did not think it was going to be anything special. They blew me away. I thought they did great work together. Moxie and Omega are incredible. So I can't go in the D range. I give it a C minus. And you know what? I want to hear your reaction to that. So you're you're saying you've been a big fan of almost all the AEW pay-per-views. Except um, the, I'm forgetting which one it was. Whatever. Full Gear or d- Double I, or Nothing. I, Double so or Nothing, I think. I'm actually not, I, I haven't been. I, I've, I've had quite a bit of problems with a lot of their pay-per-views. Other than I think Revolution last year was really strong. Revolution was very good last year. And, and I know this past year was pandemic and, and stuff was different, but I... I I've not, there's just been a lot on AEW pay-per-views, especially during the pandemic where there's just stuff I don't care all that much about. And and again, like we talked about at the beginning, they only do four of these, so they're going to be longer. But man, when, when we've gotten used to three hours, sometimes even less than three hour WWE pay-per-views where everything on the card is a big deal, man, that just feels like the way to go. And it, it 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 really differentiates itself from AEW pay-per-views in that sense. I haven't been a fan of those for quite a while. That's why my expectations to this weren't high coming in. It was a B, probably going to end up with a B minus. Um, well, I, 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 didn't, I didn't The show's hate, almost over. You got, you know, you I, I, I didn't hate anything <laughs> on this except for, I guess, I, I guess the, the, the tag bit, but I really, I, I like the end. So I get what you're saying. I, I should, we've been talking about it for, an hour and a half now, maybe we, I should take a little bit more off of AW because of that finish uh, in the explosions and stuff. I almost want to excommunicate you from the show for not, for not being below a B. 
Like it just it really was not a B pay-per-view. We give we've given multiple WWE pay-per-views over the last year Bs. And this just wasn't we, as good we as need that. to write these down. We we should we got to keep a spreadsheet. I I I, I really think enough. we should we do it at the end of the show. So it's right, easy I I think we yeah. should keep this on a spreadsheet so I know what to compare it to. That's I, fair. I think sometimes that we're just in the moment in some analysis. Well, let me put it this way. Like, let me put it this way. Yeah. I've not you know I've liked I've liked to love most AEW pay per views with the exception really the the biggest one at least since they've actually been a TV company right that's really what matters the most of all out all out was bad okay um yes. full gear the last pay-per-view they did was a huge rebound you had omega and page they blew it out oc orange cassidy and john silver darby allen and cody rhodes the karushita nyla rose match that we liked um you got matt hardy and sammy it wasn't great but the elite deletion match the cinematic deal mvp and jericho and moxley and eddie kingston so it was a damn good show. And a lot of AEW's pay-per-views, even if you don't necessarily like their totality, there's some really damn good matches on there. There's like like two barn burners that you can sink your teeth into. This show for me only had one, and that was the main event. And it wasn't enough to save what happened at the end of the show. When you watch a pay-per-view, the final thing that happens is what you remember. If you watched NXT TakeOver, I'm forgetting the location, Chicago, I think it was, you remember how great the tag team match was, but what you remember is Tommaso Ciampa turning on Johnny Gargano because that's how the show ended. That's the memorable moment. And what you're going to remember coming out of this is the ridiculous explosion. And if Tony Khan wants to come out and say that it was planned, even if it was, let's actually believe it was planned. And let's actually believe he wanted it to be a joke. That is a horrible piece of booking, if that's your plan. So no matter what it was, no matter what excuse they want to make, it was a piece of garbage. And then you look at all those other matches that we had and all those criticisms, some you agreed with, some you didn't. I can't get anywhere near a B. Like I said, I'm at a C minus. I'm pretty firm on yeah, that. Look, you're, you're, talk, you're talking not me into show. C plus. And as I'm thinking about the sparklers at the end more and more, I, I, it, as I'm thinking about what I've given some WWE pay-per-views that I haven't loved, I, 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 you're, you're right. It, it's not a B. It's not close to a B. It's 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 probably more of a C plus for me. The only thing that I, makes I, it a C I, is the main event, really. Yeah, well, that, and that's what it is because <laughs> it should the, be a D. Otherwise. The biggest matches, the matches I was looking forward to, they delivered on those, and that's why I think I've had maybe more positive feelings about it than I should because I didn't feel let down by the things I didn't want to be let down by. Right. But, but 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 then I I think about the sparklers at the end, and then I think about man, AEW's production is not. Good. It's it's been a problem. It's been a problem for a while. Really, there are, there are so there is so much talent on that roster that I should be feeling like these guys are bigger deals than they are, and they're not doing a good job of doing that. They're introduced and on this pay per view, like I said, there was a bunch of wrestlers on this pay per view who I don't know who they are, and I'm not I'm not someone who watches Ring of Honor and New Japan and all this other stuff, and I'm sure there are people who watch this pay per view who don't, and there's just so much that like you're either supposed to know or you're either just supposed to go along with it and they don't back it up. They don't give you a reason to get into it. And that's it. And it just hurts the talent on there. The production is a problem. It's been a problem. And for, for that, for the end of that pay-per-view to be a either production problem or just bad production planning or bad. Uh, 
it, it's just it it's further highlighted how much of an issue this has been. If you want to take Tony at his word, which we shouldn't, but if you want to, it's bad booking. At, at the worst, the, I mean, the, at the, the best. Only, at the best, it's bad booking. Here, here's why the only guy who feels like a big deal in AEW, this is partly because he's one of the owners, one of the executives of the company, is Cody Rhodes. He every match he's in. Every bit he's in, he knows how to make it seem like a big deal. The Dustin match, the Darby match, the Jericho match, every promo that he does. He treats everything He treats everything like he does, like it is the most important thing in the world. He's always wearing suits. He's on other shows on TNT. Like he is, he, he is exuding something like he is more than a wrestler when he's out there. And everybody else just feels like a wrestler. And I, I think that hurts the overall production of the show because everybody just feels like wrestlers. They don't the, feel like they're larger than life. And the, Kenny Omega is a guy who should feel like he's larger than life. And they're he getting should. there. He should. He's they're getting there after the first year in the company was kind of whatever. But man, there's just there's a lot of guys in this company who should be bigger deals than they are. I, I will say that John Moxley and Chris Jericho, maybe it's not every Jericho time. Does. Maybe it's not every time, but they consistently can do that. When Moxley was champion, he looked the part and he really raised the rent. Jericho, especially when he was champion, before he got into more of the comedy stuff, he was legit. Like you saw him, you're like, this guy's a star, right? But those guys were made in W. Three of those four guys that we just mentioned were made in WWE. And Kenny Omega came in as the best wrestler in the world because of what he did in New Japan. So who has AEW really elevated? When you look at that and you and you question it, it's not a great answer, right? It's the, just the, it's just MJF. He's the only one. It's just M, it's just MJF. You're 100 percent right. When you you know AEW largely is built for the smart audience, and I don't say that to be demeaning, but it is they want the smart fans online because Tony Khan grew up as a smart fan. He read the Wrestling Observer newsletter, as everyone knows. Um, he wants the smart fans to be happy. He wants to sign all the guys the internet loves. Right. And he wants to do all this great stuff and he wants to do a sport centric product and he wants to promise this and over deliver or, or promise to over deliver on all this stuff. But the problem with AEW is it's trying to be too many things simultaneously. It's trying to be that product that the Smarks will love and will have that groundswell of enthusiasm. But it's also trying to compete with WWE. It wants to have those really big moments. It wanted the deathmatch to be this huge thing. It wants to have Shaq. It wants to have Sting and Christian and Big Show and all these guys to draw casual viewers into the program. But on top of all of that, it is still amateurish in terms of production and booking. Tony does a lot of things really well, and they've done some really strong long-term storytelling. And you have to give them credit for that. They do a lot of things. AEW does a lot of things better than WWE does from a storytelling standpoint. But there's also so many times that there's holes in storylines or that the end of something doesn't hit the way it needs to. Or you do the sparklers tonight or the shack disappearing out of the ambulance or little things like that where you just kind of sit back and look at it and you're like, you know, there's a reason why over the last two years, WWE didn't like move SmackDown to Wednesday. Or Raw, or or really, you know, I complain all the time about WWE not promoting NXT strongly in the head-to-head with AEW. They don't 
really see AEW as a threat because they're really not one. They're a fine wrestling product. I'm going to keep watching them, Chris. Every Wednesday night, I will watch Dynamite because I enjoy it. I enjoy most of the wrestlers. I enjoy most of the storytelling. But they are so far away from being that cohesive, strong product that can actually legitimately compete in this space. And I think tonight was the paradigm of that. Just one of your four big tentpole pay-per-views of the year. And forget the sparklers and that stuff. I mean, that was really bad. But in a post-show poll for one of your four big shows, you have, I lost it right now. I'm trying to pull it back. I'm trying to waste a little time. You have 44% of respondents saying it's a C and 21 saying it's a D. You have 64%, two thirds of the people, at least in our poll who watched this show, saying it was basically below average to bad. And that's two of the last three pay-per-views that's been like that. And that's not sustainable for them. No, I, I think you hit it on the head. There, there's just, there's a lot of sloppiness around camera angles, music, commentary, um, overhyping things. Look, WWE hypes things, but I, I don't think they hype them to that type of level when you know it's not going to be something it needs to be. <laughs> and you know what, dude? The one time they really hyped something, the greatest wrestling match ever. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. freaking good. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> it, it's fine. Well, here's the thing. We, they hyped it up so much that I think we actually thought it was going to suck, and then it didn't <laughs> suck. AEW still has enough trust from people where if they hype it up, I think it's going to deliver in fairness to AEW in that sense. But yeah, no, WWE has had a really, really strong year. They have handled the pandemic a lot better than I thought we expected. And and AEW week to week, having Dynamite, having Daily's Place, having people in the crowd, I think has had a better environment. But since WWE has been in the Thunderdome, you know, especially on SmackDown, they've they've had a cohesive show and, and, and stories that they're telling. And so much of AEW just feels like sometimes it's just like it's it's like BTE with a bunch of things just getting shoehorned in. Exactly. There, there's all, there's there's all sorts of people telling all sorts of different kinds of trying to tell stories. It's hard to keep track of everything. It's just it's a lot. And I'm curious where they reset now, now that this is behind them, now that a lot of feuds are over now that some people are going to be missing some time. Um, I'm very curious to see the directions they start to go in because they know how this ended was <laughs> not good. And they know they need to come swinging out of the gates to get things going back in the right direction. I feel like if anyone is listening to this show and doesn't normally listen to us, like they're a first time listener, they may think we hate AEW, which is number one, not true. They may also think we're WWE marks, which is definitely not true. We hate Raw most weeks. We, we hate Raw. And there's been nothing that I've consistently criticized more recently than WWE's booking of the women's division. Yes. Like there's nothing that makes me angrier. You thought I was angry about the sparklers and shit at the end of the revolution. The, what WWE's done with their women's division over the last two months on the road to WrestleMania with five weeks until WrestleMania, it is so insulting. So if you are a first time listener, uh, trust me, we have problems with WWE too. And we try to look for the good in all of professional wrestling. I know that at the end of this, it's going to come off that I was exceedingly negative on AEW. I tried to see the, br the bright spots. And I think there were numerous things, Chris, that I mentioned that I really did like. But I'm just not going to hide my thoughts on that, that are flaws in their product. And I thought their flaws were very apparent tonight. And that's why, you know, we're finishing up with the grades. 
That's ultimately why I'm at the bottom end of a C, a C minus. Credit where it's due for some good stuff, but AEW Revolution for me did not deliver. But what always delivers for you is the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. You can follow co-host Vintage Chris Vanini on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. You can follow host The Silver King, Adam Silverstein, at Silverstein Adam. And of course, you can follow the show to participate in our pay-per-view polls and get episode drops and wrestling news and highlights and gifts and clips and all that fun stuff. You can get all of that by following us at Getting Overcast. Also, now that this show is almost over, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Let us know how much you love our instant analysis because, folks, we got at least a couple more coming up in the next five weeks. We will have an ultimate preview for WWE Fastlane coming up after the Go Home Raw. We will have instant analysis of WWE Fastlane, and we're going to do all of that again in April ahead of WrestleMania. It is WrestleMania season. This is where the big boys play. This is the time of year to be a wrestling fan, to share the Getting Over Wrestling podcast to your friends, family, coworkers, anyone else you know who likes getting it on inside the square. So with that, I will bid you adieu for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And I'm going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.